Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 720 of the podcast and it is Saturday the 21st of October 2023 as I record this. In today's show, I'm talking to Pat McLean about some of the challenges of a mature career with a big backlist of books. When to keep things updated, when to let things go, when to try new things, as well as what we think is coming for the indie industry and more. So that's coming up in the interview section. So in publishing and book marketing things, there was an interesting article posted on Publishers Weekly this week from the CEO of Streetlib, Giacomo D'Angelo. And Streetlib is an Italian self-publishing company that's now expanding in partnerships with Bauka and others for global reach. And the article shared this statistic. According to Bookstat, self-published titles captured 51% of all online unit sales and 34% of revenue in 2022. I was like, whoa, that is crazy. I mean, I had heard that collectively we were bigger than many publishers, but that is a huge amount. And that's not even measuring everything. Uh, especially as more authors move to direct sales. So none of this includes, for example, my Kickstarter or my Shopify sales, which is becoming more and more of my income. Same with many other authors. It also doesn't measure KU page reads or serial fiction or in-person sales or any of that. So, But even then, it's a really big chunk. So 51% of unit sales, 34% of revenue in 2022. Now, I presume that that is US only, but still, that's pretty significant. So the article goes on, several generational trends will chart the course for the industry. The first is further internationalization of the industry. The US online population is less than 10% of global total. So there is far greater potential in the broader global market. Indie authors and publishers should consider embracing digital formats, well, yes, and expand their digital distribution to new countries and adopt new business models such as subscriptions. So, yeah, I think we're pretty much doing that. Second, audiobooks. Gaining organic visibility through audiobook streaming platforms and employing innovative marketing techniques such as playlist promotion will be imperative. Crafting shorter episodic content helps control production costs and maintain a consistent release schedule for visibility. I love this and I'm going to come back to audio in a minute with Spotify, but this is completely true. I'll tell you how my behaviour has changed even just in the last couple of weeks with audio and I am an audio first consumer. Um, Pretty much now audio has overtaken every other form of consumption for me. Um, But yes, I think organic visibility can still be done within these platforms, these streaming platforms. And shorter episodic com- content, that's just not serial fiction. That's also for nonfiction as well. So I think this is this is really, I agree with a lot that's in this article, actually. Then community building as a third pillar. In an increasingly creator-centric media landscape, indie authors must be able to connect with niche communities and adapt to new ways of community building. 
cross-platform interaction rather than linear outreach will become a crucial strategy. So again, I totally agree with this. I think we're going to be, instead of focusing on mass market, we're going to be focusing on community, smaller niches and uh, the interaction of all that is weird and unique around us. Uh, I think that's going to be more important. And then finally, incorporating the use of AI technology can be an empowering tool for all. Rather than fearing that AI might replace writers, indie authors are well positioned to seamlessly integrate AI tools into their everyday publishing processes. You won't be surprised that I agree with that too. So that's a great article in Publishers Weekly. I'll link to that in the show notes, but also on audio and AI. So uh, in the last few weeks, Spotify has now enabled 15 hours a month of audiobook subscription listening for paid subscribers in the UK and Australia, presumably rolling out elsewhere. And they have the very best audio recommendation engine for discoverability. And I really discovered this in the last couple of weeks because I thought, okay, I'm going to give this a try, see how it goes. So my audiobook behavior changed in this specific way. So I saw an Instagram post, was scrolling on Instagram as one does. And I saw a post about being a strong woman. It's by a a female um, sort of a fit woman, fit older woman. And uh, it recommended uh, weightlifting. And I've been weightlifting now for a couple of years, increasingly important uh, post-menopause. And the book, uh, the post referred to a book, Next Level by Stacey T. Sims, which is a great book, by the way. So I was like, oh, I wonder if that's on Spotify. So I went to Spotify, found whether it was there, it was, found whether it was included in premium. And premium, you can just listen to whatever you want within the premium catalogue for that 15 hours, which it, it was included, it is. So I clicked to add to my queue and I started listening. Now, what I immediately found that was different was that I started picking chapters rather than listening to everything because I hadn't bought the whole thing with a credit. I'd essentially bought access. Now, I know that Audible has some included in their unlimited package too, but it's more about my behavior within the app. So my behavior with podcasts like this is that I do subscribe to some shows and listen to them every week, but mostly I dip in and out of all kinds of things. And I use Spotify as a search engine to listen to episodes on different things that I'm interested in that week. So I may not even subscribe to the show. I'll dip in, listen to an episode, then go and listen to an episode of another show. So I am very used to on Spotify picking and choosing like we do with songs. You don't necessarily listen to everything in a playlist on Spotify. And so what I discovered immediately was my behavior with an audiobook was exactly the same. And this just made me made my brain explode. (laughs) Because first of all, the discovery engine is much better. So for example, you can listen to pretty much any of my wide audiobooks, which are most of them, some are still locked up with Audible, but most of them are wide. All my nonfiction is wide. Pilgrimage is there. Uh, And when I went to look at Pilgrimage, it's linked to Rolf Potts latest in the um, in their discovery thing. And I was like, that's very cool. Because if you're into travel, Rolf Potts is pretty famous for vagabonding. Now, I know some people are doom-mongering about this, but I think it's an awesome opportunity for audio. And as I said, um, well, in fact, as that article said as well, the shorter form, 
being much more specific around your chapter titles for nonfiction so that people who listen this way can pick and choose from the different uh, chapter titles. Uh, Obviously, for fiction, it's different because it's more of a linear experience. But for nonfiction, this is very cool. And remember, if you distribute through Findaway Voices, as I do, uh, and many of us do, you are it's now owned by Spotify. So those are all in the premium catalogue. And uh, so I think there's a lot more to come around how this is going to work out. But also, well, with Findaway Voices, you can do audio-only products. So if you publish on Audible, it has to be linked to a book. But on Findaway Voices and Spotify, you can just do audio-only products. So I'm very interested in this. I think this is a big potential. Now, also, I don't necessarily see this as a massive revenue boost, although I am interested to see how it goes. Uh, but it's more about how do people come into the ecosystem. So again, if I'm, I listen to podcasts on Spotify too, and if I'm listening and I'm like, oh, that sounds great, and they advertise their book, or they don't advertise it, they talk about their book on an episode, and then I can literally stay within the app and click over and search for their audiobook. So I think the discoverability of podcasting to audiobooks will get better. Oh, there's so many things that I think are cool. The other things that are cool is if you publish through Finery Voices, you also get access to the premium analytics from Spotify, which is every week you can download a report. Now, they've only just launched this, but I, I downloaded my report this week. And public speaking for authors, creatives and other introverts is the most listened to audiobook so far in my Spotify backlist. Now, I was like, okay, that's weird. It's not really a book I talk about much. It's not one that I have any marketing on. It's part of my backlist. But yeah, I mean, it's never sold that well because it's quite specific. Uh, But I went to see why. So I went on to Spotify. I searched for public speaking on audiobooks. And (laughs) my book comes up second after Dale Carnegie. So I was like, okay, that's really interesting. And also the demographic was younger men which is not usually my demographic, sort of men around the age of 25 is not a typical audience for me. So that was just fascinating. And uh, I don't know whether, well, in fact, you can actually see the minutes they listen, which is also fascinating. Someone listened to the whole of my Matt Walker trilogy. Thank you very much. (laughs) So it'll be very interesting to see how this impacts revenue. But I'm just thrilled that people are able to suddenly find my audiobooks in a much better way because it's been really hard on Audible to sell audiobooks for a while if you're not in any of their special programs and deals, a bit like KU. Whereas Spotify, I feel it has there's much more of a potential for wide authors. And then same as any other form of marketing is it brings people to your ecosystem. Certainly, I find as an audio first nonfiction listener, I will very often I will buy a copy of the print book, uh, often the hardback. If I like the audio book, I'll go buy the hardback. And in fact, that book, um, the lifting book, Next Level, I've already bought as a present for a friend of mine. So don't think that if someone listens to your book on a couple of chapters of your book on on Spotify, that that means you don't get more money. There are lots and lots of different ways that people can give you money. <laughs> and that's what we have to think now. We have to be much more creative around our ecosystem. Discoverability and then income can be different things. 
And also, in a kind of similar vein, on the Kickstart Your Book Sales podcast, Russell Nolte gives an overview of the five author ecosystems, which he and Monica Lionel have come up with as a way to help indie authors figure out the best way that fits with them around writing, publishing and marketing based on their personalities and the way they like to write. Now, it's a really good way to look at things and will help you figure out what might work for you and what won't. So one of the biggest things they talk about, well, they have these different, I won't go into all the ecosystems. Russell does a great job of that. Um, But essentially a desert, someone who's a desert author and they're just different you know, physical ecosystems like grassland and forest and desert and uh, aquatic and all of this. So anyway, a desert author is someone who excels at writing fast, writing to market, identifying trends, and they are the authors doing well in KU for fiction. I am not a desert. (laughs) And that's great. I mean, when you realise that you are just not suited to a certain way of writing and publishing and marketing, then you can breathe a sigh of relief and do it differently. So I definitely think you should have a listen to this. I'm pretty sure I'm a grassland for my non-fiction and more of a forest for my fiction. Uh, but of course, we're all a bit of both. It's like any of these sort of personality tests. You're never 100% one or the other. So yeah, you can find that at the Kickstart Your Book Sales podcast or check out authorecosystem.com. So in personal news, I put out a video this week. Shock horror. <laughs> It's called How to Double Down on Being Human, Five Ways to Stand Out in an Age of AI. And the five tips are show your face and or your voice in marketing, hence why I made a video. Uh, Two, be more personal in your emails and with your community. Three, make beautiful books and physical products. Four, connect in person. And five, you won't be surprised, but it is tap into your shadow side and make your books truly unique. Now, you can watch that on YouTube, The Creative Pen, or it's also on thecreativepen.com with a transcript. And uh, obviously, I did that for a couple of reasons. Firstly, as exactly what I'm saying there, I'm going to be doing the occasional long form video out in public. And also, I'm going to do more video in my community, on my Patreon community. I'll talk about that again in a minute. But um, essentially, I need to show you I'm a real person (laughs) and show other people I'm a real person. And I think that's going to become more important as time goes on. Uh, So I did it because I do believe that. I think I do need to keep putting my face out there over time. Uh, You get my voice, but all of these things are fakeable, but it it all kind of contributes to what's called the social graph, all these different connections and the, the things that people think about you and who you're connected to with weak ties and strong ties and all of this. Anyway, hopefully you'll find that useful and interesting. Also, as this goes out, oh yeah, and the other reason I did it was because of writing The Shadow. So it's kind of content marketing, just useful on its own and all of that. But as it as this goes out, writing The Shadow Kickstarter is almost over. So it finishes on the 25th of October, uh, the end of the day UK time. So I guess that's around sort of lunchtime in the US, it will be done. We have smashed through this first stretch goal. And as I record this, we are approaching £30,000, which is just awesome. Thank you so much for joining the campaign. I guess that's around sort of 36, 7, 37,000 US dollars. Not bad for a writing self-help book. Uh, also, because we beat the stretch goal of £25,000, all backers will get a free ebook and audiobook of the successful author mindset. So you can join the campaign for just £1. So that's around, you know, one one US dollar 50 cents, so 150 US dollars. 
and you'll get the ebook and the audiobook of the successful author mindset. So, <laughs> this is actually a really good deal. It's almost like a sale. <laughs> For $1.50, ebook and audiobook. Plus, of course, you can go further and you can actually buy the ebook or the audiobook or the paperback or the large print or the special signed gold foil hardback edition of Writing the Shadow. There are also live writing sessions with me, which at the moment are looking like pretty intimate writing sessions. So that will probably turn into some uh, good times. And uh, you can just go to thecreativepen.com forward slash shadow book if you'd like to back the campaign or if you want to get the successful author mindset for a really good price, you can just uh, throw in uh, a quid or two and uh, there you go. (laughs) So it ends evening of 25th of October 2023 thecreativepen.com forward slash shadow book will redirect after that is closed and the book will be out everywhere in 2024. Another couple of books. My novella Catacomb is in a Halloween bundle. It is, I describe it as the movie Taken. So you know the movie Taken with Liam Neeson. It's like Taken meets Beowulf in the catacombs under Edinburgh. There you go. And the Halloween bundle includes books from fantasy to horror, from zombies to monsters to fae and more. And it includes Catacomb. So if you want a great deal on ebooks, check out the Halloween bundle at storybundle.com forward slash horror. That is a limited time deal. And it's kind of obvious when that ends. Also, many of you enjoyed the interview with Holger Niels Pohl in early September on producing visual high quality books. So that's mostly what we talked about. But Holger also talked about his autism and how being a kind of feeling like he's on a different planet. And also he has a fictional book out for children. Well, it's coming soon for children on autism, which also I think adults will be interested in. It's called The Wrong Planet. It's in English, available in English and also German. And it's on pre-order at holgernealspoll.com forward slash autism. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I have pre-ordered. I think it's always fascinating to consider how other people view the world in such a different way. Wonderful stuff. So thanks for your emails and comments. Gladys Strickland says on the Writing Soul of Place episode, great interview. I kept stopping to make notes for ways to add more details using senses to my work in progress. Fantastic. And Carrie Sutcliffe, 265, said on the Let Your Dark Horse Run episode that I did, the special episode, said, this was so incredibly beautiful. Thank you. Honestly, I wasn't even sure what writing the shadow was. Now I have a fire under me. This made me cry. Oh, that means a lot to me, Carrie. And if you haven't listened to that yet, if you want to hear hear me narrate a few chapters, uh, listen to the Let Your Dark Horse Run episode. And look, to be honest, even if you don't buy the book, that that chapter hopefully will really resonate with you. So uh, you can actually read it on the website or you can listen to me talk about it. It's either the last episode or last week or whenever it was in the feed. (laughs) Let Your Dark Horse Run. Uh, John says, because of your self-publishing show podcast episode, I have joined Kickstarter. You put James Blatch in the emotional spotlight and he handled it well. I assume he had no advance notice of your approach. No, he didn't. And his honesty matched, no exceeded by your openness, saw his guard go down. Well done. You for asking and him for opening up. Thanks, John. And I actually love that you've commented on another show that I was on and a discussion I had with James. And yeah, he he had no idea what we were going to talk about. And he did great job and a couple of people have said actually they were kind of surprised by some of the things he talked about so 
James, well done. And yes, that is writing the shadow. And thanks to Melody, who sent graveyard pictures from Zakopane, Poland. I think that's how you might say it. It's about two and a half hours south of Krakow, at the base of the Tatra Mountains. And uh, the old cemetery there has lovely uh, gravestones, grave markers. So yeah, thank you so much for that. So you can leave a comment on the podcast show notes at thecreativepen.com or on the YouTube channel or email me, send me pictures of where you're listening joanna at thecreativepen.com i'm pretty much off all social media now (laughs) although i do use instagram for bits and bobs i just don't even look at the messages (laughs) so if you want to connect with me best thing to do is leave a comment on the blog or the youtube channel or email me joanna at thecreativepen.com i love to hear from you it makes this more of a conversation So this episode is sponsored by Pro Writing Aid, because however you choose to publish, whether you go direct to readers or you go indie or you want a traditional deal, you must make your book the best it can be. And Pro Writing Aid is one of my absolute must use tools in my writing process. I have used it recently for writing The Shadow. Essentially, I open Pro Writing Aid, um, then I, I use it with Scrivener. So I open Scrivener and work through each chapter which is much more manageable than doing a whole document, although you can do whole documents, you can do it online. There's so many integrations. Uh, It suggests loads of improvements, but I don't accept all the changes. I go through and assess things, but it certainly helps me find lots of problems and it integrates with Word and other writing software. Pro Writing Aid knows all the rules of editing and helps you apply them. And of course, you can choose not to make changes as you like. It helps with making your writing more active, finding repeated words, finding words you could improve, sentence structure, grammar and punctuation issues, as well as typos, spacing problems and more. So why use software to help you? Why don't you just learn all the grammar and writing rules and apply them yourself? Well, we all use tools to improve our process and we're often blind to our own writing issues. It helps to have another pair of eyes, even if the eyes are software. So won't an editor do all this? Well, yes, they can do, but I would rather pay my editor to fix the things that software can't, like reading the manuscript as a whole and commenting on bigger issues around inconsistencies, flow, character development, etc. So I use ProWritingAid as my essential editing tool before sending to my human editor. You can check out the free edition or get 25% off the premium edition by using my link, ProWritingAid.com forward slash Joanna. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time is sponsored by my patrons, especially the uh, AI, futurist topics, other things like that. Thanks to all the patrons who've been supporting the show for years and months. I'm so glad you find the show useful still and want it to continue. So I sent out the patron-only Q&A last week where I answer questions around writing craft, publishing, book marketing, mindset, making money, AI and more. It's around 45 minutes of extra audio, which I do every month. So it's like an extra show a month. Plus you get access to the entire backlist of questions. And also... I am growing my Patreon into more of a community rather than just a sort of podcast support feed. Uh, I'm get, I've added videos on um, creating with AI on Shopify, behind the scenes articles. I did one this week on behind the scenes for that video that I did with much more to come. I have lots of plans for making this as part of my sort of 15 year pivot 
growing my Patreon into more of a community is going to be a, a, a focus. So yeah, all the details in that coming in December when I hit 15 years, but um, patrons will know that I'm already doing this. Um, I'll be adding more content and also they've reorganized it now so you can find things more easily. We're also having a meetup at 20 Books Vegas if you're going to be there and you are a patron. The details of that is inside. It is now a monthly um, subscription, a sort of behind the scenes community. Thanks to new patrons this week, Sarah, James, Justin, Joanna, Annie, Tricia, Mark, Annette and Celine. You can join the community and support the show at patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get on to the interview. Patricia McLean is the award-winning and multi-USA Today best-selling author of over 60 books across mystery, contemporary and historical romance, women's fiction and non-fiction. And today we're talking about the challenges of a long-term career and how to re-sane yourself. So welcome back to the show, Pat. It's wonderful to be here with you, Jo. Thank you. Oh, I'm excited to talk about this. And you were last on the show in May 2021, talking about discovery writing and sustaining a long-term writing career. So we're going to jump straight into the topic today, and I'll link to that interview in the show notes. So basically, you email me, and I am quoting from your email, you said you've had cascading failures and issues in business technology and infrastructure. It has not been fun. It has cost a lot. And we want to talk about the difficulty today. So first up, tell us about those difficulties. Well, some of them are things that everybody has experienced. Like a little over a year ago, I had just finished redoing the Amazon categories for all of my books. And, you know, there's 65 different titles, but there's paperback and there's large print. And there are a lot of, as people say, products more than the titles of the book. So about about 200. I had just finished that when the word came out that Amazon had changed how mm. <laughs> they did the categories. Now, as we know now from a year looking back, that was the first of about three changes. So I, I you know, had all that work that was wasted, which was very frustrating. I have not done anything else with those categories since then because... <laughs> I've been occupied with other things. I was working on AI audio. So I was doing some AI audio on Google Play that with romances that were not otherwise ever going to be in audio. So that was occupying a lot of my time last fall. And then I also had Active Campaign as my uh, newsletter server. Mm-hmm. And I had been with them for six years, frustrated, felt that I was never getting from it what it could do. I could see all this functionality, but boy, it just did not mesh with me. So I decided, okay, I am not going to be defeated by <laughs> this campaign. Will not give up. And I went out and found somebody who was an expert and spoke author. And he spent the month of January straightening out my active campaign, getting it where it should be, doing the things that I had sort of piecemeal done. Piecemeal is going to be a theme, I think, in this (laughs) this conversation (laughs) that I had done. And it cost a couple thousand dollars and a lot of time and effort, mine as well as as his. But we had that set. Then in mid-March, 
active campaign, which is already expensive, sent me an email and said, oh, yeah, <laughs> we're going to raise your rate by more than 33%. <gasps> and I said, oh, no, you're not. And it was what had finally, what finally pushed me over the edge. And yes, there were sunk costs in what I had had him do and sunk time. But what I should have done, and this is also going to be, be a theme, is I should have listened to my gut. Six years of trying to get active campaign to work for me the way I felt it should. And we just were not a good fit. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. give it up, McLean. Just <laughs> let it go. But I didn't until the 33 plus percent increase. Now, that, of course, happened that they told me in March you had to have it changed by the end of April or you got charged for the entire year. And I was, of course, on deadline. <laughs> I had a book coming out the end of April. I don't write ahead like some people do. Um, deadline is my my muse. <laughs> so mm. I had paid the same gentleman to transfer me to MailerLite, which has been much more congenial. I don't know whether it's the way my brain works or what it was, but I just never did. So one of the things I would say to people is do not do what I did. <laughs> do not pay for six years for a tool that is not working the way it's supposed to, even when you know it's got lots of functionality. It just, it, listen to yourself. Look at the practicality of what works for you, not what should or could work. And do not tell yourself, as I did, I can make anything work if I try hard enough. You know, it just, <laughs> uh, it is, is it the best use of your time and your emotional energy? And eventually your money, as this turned out to be. So yeah. that was one, that was oh, one wait, big thing. We haven't finished yet. There's still more. <laughs> I also got an email uh, in February, I think, that said, OG, your lifetime deal with um, the the smart URL links isn't going to work anymore. And we will continue to serve your URLs if you pay us because it was bought out by another company. And that see, that gets my back up. And I think I had a lifetime deal. The buying out company should honor that. And then they said, well, we will serve 40% of your URLs. Apparently not a lot of people were taking them up on their initial offer. And I wrote back and said, well, how do we know which 40%? And they wrote back and said, oh, we don't know. <laughs> like what? what? And just, just so people know, these are the links, say in the back of your books, that yes. go to various yes. stores. Yes. So at that point, I had three assistants. My primary assistant was on a cruise. The, a secondary assistant, who is the one who actually did links for me, that was one of her two primary jobs, um, said that she didn't have the time. And so I ended up, remember, still dealing with active campaign moving to MailerLite, still on deadline. I ended up changing, creating close to 3,500 links. Oh, because this was the bat this was the every link in the back of every book, every format, every possibility, and all the links on my website. I then had somebody who put them up. My primary assistant unwisely came back from the cruise <laughs> and she and my formatter got them in the back of the books and had to re upload every book. 
every book everywhere. Mm. So the my lesson on that was lifetime deals are not, uh, can very well not be. And in fact, I had two others in this past year where the company was bought out. And these were all through AppSumo. The company was bought out and the buying out company did not honor the lifetime deal. Well, can I just comment on that one? And I, I have a few comments coming back before we continue. But first of all, on that whole lifetime deal, companies, all of that, this is the same with, with publishers. A lot of people yeah. sign publishing yeah. deals yeah. thinking that that agent or that publisher will be with them forever. And many authors, you know, a publisher will get bought or the publisher will sell and it will change hands and the terms will be different. So it is completely normal for companies to sell, yes. for contracts to change. And thus, although that happened, that doesn't surprise me. I do have a tip for people here. And what I've always done is because of this, I've seen this so many times, is to use a website link yourself. So I just use, say, jfpen.com forward slash desecration. And I use my own um, website as the redirect link rather than using a smart link. So it's a different way of doing it, but it means it's in your control. But just coming back on some of those other things, I want to point out to people that you've been doing this a really long time. You've been publishing and self-publishing a long time. And what's so interesting, I was also with Active Campaign for maybe a year. And I also felt the same way. And it's interesting because you're a discovery writer. I'm a discovery writer. And mm-hmm. I just felt the same as you. I felt like, do you know, this just is not meshing with me because it's very... Well, it's almost mathematical. It's a very logical system. And there are some authors who do really well with Active Campaign. I was not one of them. I moved to ConvertKit with a really simple email structure that I feel as someone who is quite, uh, I guess, I'm just not as planned. And you're the same, you know, we discovery, right? Yeah. We do things intuitively. And so it's interesting. I mean, you've chosen MailerLite, I've chosen ConvertKit. But the tip here, as we're saying, is listen to your gut, listen to Listen what to feels. your gut for sure. So again, I, I think this is really interesting. Now, you are also quite technical. You have great ability to do a lot of these things and other people might also pay other people. I'm going to add another thing, which is sometimes, and you did even say this, you said, should I just let it go? And this is something else that I think sometimes we need to do, which is, yes, do you really need to update every single format of every single piece of your backlist? And I came up against this earlier this year too, when I decided that I would only update certain formats and I would just give up and assume, like many traditionally published books or books you find in the library, that the back matter, if it's wrong, well, they'll just have to figure it out. (laughs) Oh, giving up. Oh, (laughs) So how does, yeah, how does that make you feel? Because remember, you're going to keep writing, you're going to have even more books. So how are you feeling like, because nothing's going to stop changing, everything's going to keep changing. So if people listening are like, okay, well, I want to have a career as long as Pat, and as long as Joe, these things will always change. How can we re-sane ourselves, as you say, and figure out what we do need to do and what we just don't? Where's the 80-20 rule? Oh, Lord, I wish I knew. <laughs> when the resane yourself comes from, I started a, a group with some pals. And I have found that really beneficial because one of the things it does is gives me a small group focus rather than the big group focus. And what I mean is you go out on the Facebook groups or forums and there are a thousand authors talking about this is the wonderful big thing you have to do and you have to 
it's hard, but it will pay off tremendously and do this and do that. And there's a thousand different things. Each of those thousand authors is doing a different different thing. Having this small group, we're filtering a lot. That thousand comes down to five or six that mm-hmm. that we are talking about individually that really grabbed us. It's more human scale, um, having this group and having the focus be on, sh- should I do it? Do I have to do it? Can I let it go? Mm-hmm. Um even though the answer often is no, we got to do it. <laughs> you know, it, it just it does weed out a lot of stuff. So I have found that to be really great. And I will say we had one member who actually quit because she said one of the things she was doing was pairing away her groups. So she's our success story. She really <laughs> truly did resane herself. I think that's interesting. So I guess one of the tips is stop consuming all the things and stop trying to do everything and pick a few things. So like we've just talked about email systems. Yes, you do need to have an email service. But I think one of the things you you can pare down as such is, for example, I got rid of a whole load of over-engineered autoresponders because I wasn't able to update them. I, In terms of the 80-20 rule, what few things make the most difference to my business? That was not one of them. And also, it, I didn't enjoy it. And so I think that's one that's thing. Fair. you like decide what you want to do. But what are some other ways that you have resaned yourself? Well, I also think looking at that upkeep is a big one. And what you said about whether you want to do it, because I do tend to consume a lot of information on Becca's list. I'm a number one learner and number two input. I'm just gonna, (laughs) you know, that's Mm -hmm. all there is to it. Me too. So I have to assess better how it makes me feel. There's just no point at this stage in my life to be doing stuff I don't want to do. And I'm I'm trying to get the mantra, uh, don't want to, not gonna, <laughs> and work <laughs> on that. So part of that, though, is not just, the, not just a one-off. It's these things that take upkeep. Because another one on my strengths is responsibility. So it drives me nuts when it's not done right and not kept up. So that's a huge thing for me. Another thing is recognizing how much things change and therefore, in a way, not investing as much time and energy in the now because it's going to be transitory. And that has a lot to do with tools and platforms and all those things. Yes, I I, I did the Shopify store. And I was, I tried really hard to not be totally anal about it. <laughs> I had somebody else create the store, but I, I sort of designed it. And to say to myself, it is not <laughs> worth hours of my time to figure out that the corners of the boxes should be a certain percent, a certain radius. It, it just let it go. <laughs> Go. So I'm working on it. it. It is definitely a process for me. And that's part of why I wanted to, to talk about this to other people too, that um, that it is a process. And it's it, it, we, we've talked a little bit, but the feeling that we are at such a changing point in the business, it reminds me of 2010. And it reminds me of being with the first authors putting our stuff up on retailers and going, what does this mean? What does that mean? How do we do this? Where we didn't speak the language, but you learn the language. And 
that's going to happen with people, I think, also selling direct. And, and I see it as a continuum. I see from having started in traditional, where you were very buffered from the readers and not in a good way, and other people made decisions about the, what the readers wanted. And as we've gone, it's become more and more direct to the readers. And we will, and direct is now where I, a lot of my focus is because I do have more control, because I do have a better connection with the readers that way. I think it will become even more so. I would not be surprised if in five, six, ten years, Shopify is squeezing the profit, trying to get more of it into their coffers, because that's what corporations do. That's what Amazon has done. That's what the publishers did. That is the maturation of the market. The big guys see that the individuals are making more money, and they think that's a vacuum, and they can scoop up those dollars and cents and pounds. So that's going to happen. But then something else will open and there will be another way. And I think it will probably be another step closer to authors and readers without middle people. Let me just address that because I've been obviously doing this a long time as well. Shopify to me is the same as my host. So mm. a w WP Engine is hosts this website and all my sites. Shopify hosts my stores. So yes, we, we will pay them as a host, but they're not a retailer. They are a technological platform. So they're not the same as Amazon. I agree that the costs will change, but I do think they are more like WP Engine or WordPress than a retailer because people sell all kinds of things on Shopify. The more interesting thing I think there is what I think is going to happen is all these stores are going to work through it. So I saw that through Seller Central, you can now go on to Shopify. So you can actually have Amazon yeah. fulfillment through Shopify. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. And I actually had a call with them about whether they'll do it for books. And they were like, this is Seller Central. This is not KDP. But that's oh. interesting. And in that way, yes, you're going to have... Um, I'm sure Ingram will do this. I'm sure other people will do it for merchandise and, and books and all of that. So yes, the ecosystem will change. But as you say, if you own and control your intellectual property, you can just move on to whatever else um, happens. But um, let's just come back to how much things change. You know a lot of people, you're very well connected. You've just been to the NINC conference, which is yes. excellent. So what are the other things that you think are shifting? What do you think the vibe? So selling direct is, is one of the, the shifts. What else is shifting? Well, certainly there's a lot of interest in AI and how that's going to work and how it works currently. And I think there's a feeling that things kind of under our feet are shifting a little bit and nobody knows quite how they're going. As I said, I see it as a continuum and I'm hopeful. I will say, I want to come back though and, and address that about Shopify, Joe, because yes, it is, it is not now currently a retailer, but I will tell you what I have a nightmare about. And the reason I keep both Shopify and my website, as opposed to making Shopify just I'll put it on my website into Shopify as, as some people are doing is I want two pieces out there it, because my nightmare is that Elon Musk buys one of them, WordPress or Shopify and renames <laughs> it. Why? You know, I just, ah, and sees it as a money-making opportunity. 
to make it more of a retailer, to make it or in some other fashion to grab more of the money. It's interesting, though, because I see that as, again, there'll always be another ecosystem. So what's it? Let's talk about Twitter or X since you raised that <laughs> because <laughs> obliquely um, yeah well I think maybe we met on Twitter I don't know I can't remember how we met but I I, I feel like a lot of the social media has changed now yes. when again a decade ago you mentioned 2010 I first got on Twitter in 2009 I was on YouTube in 2008 I got on Facebook back then and then of course new things arrive. So the last thing that the upheaval was TikTok. And then obviously, we some people splintered off into TikTok. And then when Twitter changed to X, a lot of people left. But what I find so fascinating is there is no single place anymore. And so that seems like a big change too. It used to be, oh, well, you put your book on Amazon, you have a Twitter account and a Facebook account and that's all you need. And you're done. Yeah. <laughs> and you're done. And now you have to really make a decision as to the specific things you want to focus on because you literally cannot do everything. So what have you done with social media? Are you doing any or are you? have you just said that I'm not bothering? Um, closer to the latter. <laughs> I do, I'm on Facebook. I've sort of let uh, Twitter atrophy. This is part of resaning myself. I am not on TikTok. I have family and friends who are in security businesses who would shoot me if I were on TikTok. <laughs> so I prefer to keep my hide whole. <laughs> it's very interesting. And one of the things I think I'm seeing is that there are ever more opportunities and places to go. But there, uh, do you get the sense they're siloing by, by genre? I was just not, reading not the genre. A, a, I mean, age, age as well. I yes. Mean, you, oh, you yes. and I are the other Facebook generation, and I mean, yeah. <laughs> but yes, I mean, I I went back on X because I'm so into AI and I'm into the technology side of things, and that is basically what it is now for me. Is it's almost like a news feed for technology, and it's completely different to how I used to use it. And I guess I'm using more Instagram for putting. I like doing pictures, but yes. like like yourself, I mean, I'm not on TikTok. I don't really do much video, but so what and do I you don't mean? Need, I don't need to be on X because you are, <laughs> and I can get the futuristic and the AI from you. Thank you very much. Oh no worries, but it's not a social media anymore right. to me. It's more like a like a feedly, like a like a news feed. So you said they're siloing by genre. So what are you seeing? Because because you're across number of genres. Well, I, it was actually very interesting to me. There was a discussion on one of the Facebook groups, I think it was Wide for the Win, where some people were talking about uh, Patreon and the changes it's made versus Ream versus a number of other places whose names I did not recognize. And then I realized that these were mostly science fiction or fantasy authors, and they were talking about how well it was doing for them. And I thought, oh, it, it is feeling like that. It's feeling like it's specializing that places rather than where everybody was on Facebook, whatever genre, now people are going to more specialized platforms. And I think in a way that's sad to me because I don't, I, you get less accidental cross-pollination stumbling across things that maybe you don't know to go searching for I'm thinking as a reader but it is more efficient in some ways too yeah and I this is interesting because I this is one of the things I'm excited about 
around AI is discoverability in a new way. So I'm doing a lot of research at the moment on generative search, which I think is going to really change things Mm. but also this idea of ai agents so again at the moment there's so many ai tools and and different things but i think what we're going to have at some point is almost i mean chat gpt does this a bit at the moment which is you can have plugins or you can have um browsing and it can go find things but what i think is going to happen is there'll be some kind of discoverability thing that we use more centrally that then goes and finds things on all of these other platforms because we literally cannot do it as you said we can't do it and I was doing a chat and it was able to find books on Shopify through chat GPT and that was very exciting to me because uh, obviously we can do paid ads but the idea of generative search around much more nuanced things I think is very interesting so what I'd say is you're right we're in this period where we really don't know what's happening. But I have hope that we're going to move into a much more interactive form of search. Whereas at the moment, we're like, here's my question, or here's my genre, here's the one book or the top of the list on the search page. But we're going to be able to say, oh, no, I actually wanted that set in Paris. Or actually, I would really like um, a Chinese protagonist. Or actually, I would really... And then what it will do is go back and look for other things. And that's how I think we might do stuff in the future? That's kind of what I'm thinking. I think that's fascinating, and I, and I hope that comes. But it still eliminates stumbling upon. So what if you you said, I want this to happen in Paris, and yet there's a book out there where it happens in Santa Clara, California, that would have been really cool for you to read. But because we are narrowing it by what we know to ask. But I think that I think at the moment we can't even ask that. We, at that's the moment, true. That's at the true. moment, you're, yes. you're stuck yeah, on... Catching. I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> you, you are. I want it better. <laughs> well, so do I. But at the moment, what I, I've been mad about for years is why do I have to choose categories and keywords when you have my book? You yeah. have the yeah. entire text of my book, vendors. Why can't you do a better job than me having to type in keywords and categories? And so at the moment, we're very restricted. What I think will come will be a much more granular understanding of our work. And uh, I mean, I know this is controversial, but I think people are crazy if they remove their books from AI because this will be the basis of search. I mean, Google Google search will be based on Google's AI. Amazon is doing their own generative search. There are going to be all these different search engines. Microsoft Bing is based on chat GPT and open AI. So if you're removing all your IP, which you can do now, you can opt out, then you're not going to be found. And it's the same way when Hmm. people got angry at Google like a decade ago. It's like, okay, remove your stuff. No one's ever going to find you. (laughs) I don't know. What do you think? Well, uh, my... Not surprisingly, my brain went off in a little different direction. (laughs) When you were talking about having the whole book, I was thinking the other thing that they have are all the reviews for books that have been, and that gets to the emotional reaction. Hmm. Having the book, at least at this point, can't tell AI how somebody is going to react to it. Oh, I, I disagree. Do you? I disagree. Yeah. With the Claude 100K model that I've been using at the moment, it's fascinating. You can upload your whole book. I've shared this on my Patreon, but you can upload your whole book and then you ask it questions. And I asked it about the emotional elements in the book. And it and when you're rewriting a blurb, for example, with emotional elements, it does that now. So, it, I mean, emotion in language is understandable. So this kind of textual analysis is is kind of old hat. <laughs> 
really. See, I was thinking of uh, analyzing the text of the reviews for mm. the emotion, and then if if you knew reviewer one, two, three, four had this emotional reaction to this book and had a similar re- emotional reaction to four other books to yours that you had read. Oh, okay, and that's the the feel I want. So then you would be inclined to try this book you'd never tried before. Yeah, absolutely. I I am very hopeful about generative search for more granular book discovery. So that's exciting. But um, coming back, any other changes that you think are significant? I mean, and how are you thinking about things for the next decade? Because you've been in the business for several decades already. So what are you thinking about changing your business going forwards? Or are you just going to kind of wait and see? I'm t- I am very much trying to streamline it. My primary assistant is retiring at the end of June. And this is somebody I've known for decades. And I'm not going to find somebody else to have a similar situation. So I'm taking things back into my hands, which is sort of the antithesis to streamlining now that I think about it. Oh, this is not good. But I, I also am looking to find specialists more than a general author assistant. So that's one thing I'm doing. I think I am sort of waiting to to see what's going on. I'm also thinking I want to do less. I keep saying that and my friends all laugh at me because then I get an idea. And I don't know, Joe. I don't know exactly. But that's sort of why I wanted to do this. I, I want I want people to understand. I, first of all, I heard somebody say, oh, well, once you pay your dues, then things go smoothly. No, <laughs> no, they keep changing. You have got to be nimble. You've got to be able to, to keep rolling with it. You've got to not just accept grudgingly that there's going to be change, but see that there's opportunity in all the changes. And there may come a point in my life where I say, great, there's opportunity. I'm just not in the mood. (laughs) Just not going to deal with it right now. But until you get to that point, keep looking for those opportunities, roll with the changes, enjoy them as as much as you can. As with writing, it's a process. It's not a static situation, the business, having the career. Because it really is about attitude. And in terms of looking forward, I, it's interesting you used the word streamline and you also said you're bringing some things back to you. I've done the same thing. and. Oh. I think what happens when you bring stuff back to you is it becomes easier to streamline. So my wonderful virtual assistant, Alexandra, almost a year ago now, moved on, moved into doing her own business stuff and is doing incredible things. That's Alexandra Amor. She's doing fantastic things. And we'd been working together for years and when she handed things back over to me, it was so interesting because I discovered there were a whole load of things I just didn't need to do anymore that I had over the years handed over to her. But then when I looked at them and thought, am I going to do that myself? I was like, do you know what? I'm just not going to do that. So interesting. Yeah. Like one of the things, I mean, it's an interesting thing, but I get a lot of emails every day and I will respond to emails that are good questions or that I can be helpful or whatever. You know, I respond to decent emails, but I also get a lot of really ridiculous emails. For example, if someone emails me and says, how do I self-publish a book? (laughs) 
I, I, in the in the past, like I would be very helpful and direct people to the various areas on my website that would be useful. But now I'm just like deleting that email. I'm not even responding because if you're not even going to look on my website uh-huh. for all the free information uh-huh. that uh-huh. you have, then I don't want to waste my time on it. So I think that's something that was a really big deal for me because I love being useful. I want to help everyone. But come on. I mean, the information is there on my website. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know. I've, what do you think? Well, I answer those emails by saying, go look at Joanna Penn's <laughs> website. Look at the creative pen. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that's I think that's great. And I may I may take that up. And I find it very hopeful that you said you looked at because I'm behind in that process of taking the things back behind where you were. And I like the idea of assessing those things. And it, and it goes back to what I, I what I said earlier. Do you want to be doing these things forevermore? Upkeep. Yes. Mm. And uh, and I think we all need to check those. I want to say, uh, this is not directly associated, but I want to say one other sort of hopeful thing out of all this past year, I have been so beaten down with all these tech things and spent so much of my time on it. it. I go to the library two times a week. This is not because I'm super disciplined. It's because my dog goes to doggy daycare and she would be climbing walls if she didn't get to play for four hours these two days a week. So I go to the library while she is playing. And that's when I write and I tell myself I can't get on the internet. So that is where I write. And there have been times in this past year where those four hours, two days a week were all the writing I was getting done. But I noticed over the summer so we're talking nine months into this misery, <laughs> that mm. the words were coming faster at the library, and it was feeling more like a respite. It was the writing being a break. Like, remember when you first started, and it was like, oh, I get to write today, I don't have to go to work. <laughs> and I'm feeling that more than I have in a long time. So there, it, through this, all this tech and business stuff, keep, keep the writing. And it, maybe other people will discover, too, that it, it brings back some of that special feeling about the writing. I shouldn't just say keep the writing, too, because without the writing, what's the point of all this? That's great. I think that's really important because that is what we do. We're writers. We love writing. And so that would be coming back to what I said about just letting it go. And like I mentioned, back matter is just something I just don't really do much of at all. (laughs) So I mean, I love that. I have to think about that. So you're a more mature writer, which I hope you don't mind me saying. But you also mentioned before about maybe wanting to work less. So do you have an idea of what might be retirement financially or creatively? Like you said there, how much the writing means. Will you get to a point where you'll just write books, maybe publish them and then not worry about the rest of the stuff? I think I will. I think I will. As you've talked about sometimes with investing and stuff, I, I have been very fiscally conservative. My my dear sentimental brother said I lived like a pauper so I could retire really early. If, because money to me is always about freedom. Mm. And yes, so I'm okay. The business has been really tight this year. I've spent a lot of money. It's the first year, I don't think I will be, a six-figure gross 
author since 2011. I think that's right. It might be 2012. My net is also going to be really bad. But I'm okay. I, I'm fiscally going to be okay. And I'm not giving any of my money to the business. <laughs> the business has to sustain itself. I had lots and lots of cushions built into my business accounts as I do in, into my, in my personal accounts. Uh, and a lot of those have been diminished. Some of them are just gone. What I'm seeing now is I'm beginning just a few dollars at a time able to start rebuilding the, the cushions. I never went into debt. The business never went into debt. I'm very averse to that. And I will say the cushions did for me what they were meant to do. As much as it pains me to see them go, I have this attitude that money goes into savings. It never comes out, but it did. It kept the business going during a difficult time, during a time of high expenditure, and let me get skills, take courses, find people to adjust. And I think that's, that is vital in any business, to have that ability built into your finances to weather the, whether they're difficult or good times, to weather change. That ties into me because I think if I were ready to just say, I'm just going to publish and put the books out. And if they earn some, that's great. I'm not going to, I'm not going to work as hard. I don't think I would be rebuilding these cushions as much. Uh, so that says to me, I'm still thinking there may be adventures ahead <laughs> on the business <laughs> side. And there was a point this winter where I thought I was going to do that, that I was just going to say, okay, that's it. I'm pulling back way, way back on the business. I'm just going to put books out there. And one of the things I realized and was talking to a wonderful person who's been a VA for a long, long time, not mine, but Maria Connor. And she said, you are halfway across the river in this process. It's as hard to turn around and go back as it is to go forward. And I thought, yeah, she was right. She was right. Mm. That was in the middle of the links. <laughs> And so there's that too. People need to recognize that there there's effort in unentangling of undoing as well as there is in, in doing and going forward. So I tend to go forward. Yeah, fantastic. I love that you said adventures ahead. That is exactly <laughs> how I feel about where we're going. So tell us, where can people find you and your books online? I have a Shopify store. It's almost two months old. So that is shop.patriciamclin.com. And that would be, that makes my heart sing when people get my books from there. So that would be number one. Also, patriciamclin.com is my website. And you can link from there to my shop. And I am on Facebook. Again, Patricia McLynn. I'm on Instagram pretty regularly. Oh, fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Pat. That was great. Thank you, Joe. So I hope you found the interview with Pat interesting and that it might encourage you to stop doing all the things, let some things go so you have the bandwidth to focus on what's important as well as learn new skills. We need to make space in order to grow, grow and change. And that's certainly what I'm thinking about at the moment. So next week, I'm talking to Russell Nolte about Selling Direct, the mindset shift 
to Selling Direct, how the indie author business model is changing, how to make beautiful products, marketing for direct sales, and long-term thinking around your author career. So in the meantime, happy writing, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time. <laughs>